Well, I don't know if you recognize, but that song comes directly out of the Bible. It's the idea that there are different seasons in life. Uh, Times to plant and times to uproot. Times to laugh and cheer and times to cry. And in our series, AKA, we're looking at different nicknames of Jesus. And today, we're looking again at the idea of Jesus being a shepherd. But this time, he's called the great shepherd of our soul. What does it mean for God to guide us through the different challenges of life? And specifically, how does he guide us into and out of true guilt? You know, there's five different types of guilt that people can experience. Sometimes we experience guilt for something we did. I legitimately did it and I feel bad about it, and I need to fix something. Two, sometimes we feel guilty for something you didn't do. I really should have helped out. I really should have sent that letter. I really should have engaged. Third type of guilt is something you think you did. Oh my goodness, I I think I gave a bad look to somebody and I think I made them feel bad. And it may or may not even be true. It may or may not even have been perceived the way you thought but it produces guilt. Fourth, you think you didn't do enough. Yeah, I did some, but I feel guilty because I could have given more. I could have been more patient. I could have been more kind. And sometimes, and this is kind of a weird one, but sometimes we feel guilty for feeling guilty. Oh, I feel like this big blanket of guilt is on me. Worse than that, I feel guilty that I feel guilty. So how do we get free from guilt? See, unlike last week where we talked about Jesus as a shepherd guiding us through the paths and valleys of life, today we're going to look at how this great shepherd of our soul leads us into pastures of forgiveness. How do I identify the difference between false guilt and real guilt? And how do I move through guilt? A lot of people either don't experience any guilt or they're just overwhelmed with a big blanket of guilt they can't seem to get out from under. The Bible offers a way to lead into guilt and then out of it to experience peace and joy and forgiveness. So to do that, we need to understand this nickname of Jesus. And here's the nickname. Jesus is the great shepherd of our souls and he can lead us into the pastures of forgiveness. Doesn't that sound like a great place? Lead us out of false guilt into true guilt and then out of that into forgiveness and joy. This is interesting because there are a lot of different views of guilt. Freud, for example, thought that guilt was a shield we used often to avoid responsibility. It was a feeling you made to make yourself feel like you were engaged, but really it was to disconnect yourself from the event. Now Eric Erickson, another psychologist, he felt like guilt was a stage we go through when we realize we can't control the world. Now the Bible has a little bit different view and this view lines up to what psychologists call the cognitive view, the cognitive therapy view, which is that guilt is caused by thoughts and when those thoughts are true, we experience true guilt. When those thoughts are false, it's false guilt. Let me give an example. I was talking to my friend Gary, and Gary was talking with a woman who had been a long-term caregiver for her husband. About 10 years, his health had been deteriorating. Recently, her husband died. 
and she was feeling a lot of emotions, loss, mourning, heartbreak, but also relief, relief. Just the wear and tear of long-term caregiving. And now, feeling relief, she felt very, very guilty. I shouldn't feel this way. If I was a good wife, a good person, a good God follower, oh my goodness, I should not feel relief that my husband has passed away. To which Gary, my friend who's a psychologist, said, actually relief sounds very, very normal, very healthy. He's like, what do you mean? Well, he said, if your husband had a heart attack, it would have been a real quick sense of loss and you'd have grieved it and then you would have the, the feelings of grief and mourning you'd be wrestling with. But instead of a heart attack that took your husband quickly, you've lost your husband slowly over the last 10 years. And so the thought good people shouldn't feel relief when a burden is taken off them isn't true. Now the idea that you miss your husband, that you love your husband, that is true. So the false guilt she was experiencing over, wow, I shouldn't, I shouldn't in any way feel glad to have this burden off me, because she couldn't differentiate that from, I love my husband, but his health issue was a burden. She had to differentiate between the burden, which was the wear and tear of the circumstances, versus her husband that she loved. And it was in that exercise of going through the Bible and taking thoughts captive and renewing her mind, she was able to differentiate between real guilt and false guilt. And that's the first thing Jesus does as the great shepherd of our souls. He leads us into and out of true guilt. Let me tell you what I mean. If you can trust the Bible's view, the Bible's psychoanalysis, for lack of a better term, of guilt, when it's appropriate, when it's not, it can lead to incredible freedom. And Jesus offers to be that shepherd who can lead you into the pastures of freedom and forgiveness, if you'll trust him. Trust him to be the shepherd of your soul to lead you into and out of true guilt. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, God wants you to have shalom, or peace, to sit in those pastures of joy, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great, and here's his nickname, that great shepherd leader of our souls. He's a great shepherd of our sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So first of all, he says he's the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, now what does it mean for him to be a shepherd of the sheep? Now, first of all, I think we need to realize this is not a compliment. Sheep were very, very dumb animals. Talk to any farmer, anyone who've raised sheep, they go the wrong way, they do the wrong thing. So part of him saying he's the shepherd of the sheep is him saying, we are wayward. We go the wrong way. We don't do the right thing. And when you get off the path, when you make moral mistakes, God designed your conscience to speak to you, to nudge you, to uh, convict you, to say, hey, whoa, 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 this isn't, this isn't right. And so being a shepherd of the sheep is to recognize that you and I go wayward, 
Therefore, we should experience guilt when we're wayward, and we need a shepherd to define the path, define what's right, define what's wrong, and to lead us from off the path back on the path. Now, the second thing he mentions here, but what it means to lead you into and out of true guilt, is this part. He says, the same God who brought our Lord Jesus from the dead. Now, why does he mention this? Because Jesus comes to earth as God. He dies on a cross. And unlike other shepherds, kings, or leaders who make their animals or make their followers sacrifice for the good of the king, this shepherd is different. He gives his life for the sheep. And because the sheep are wayward, God had to come to earth to die on a cross. And it was on that cross that he actually paid for or made a way to deal with our guilt problem, to deal with our wayward problem, so that we could find perfect peace. Another way to say it is we could find shalom. And that's what he mentions here. God brought him back from the dead to prove that he had defeated guilt and shame. And he is the God of peace. Now the God of peace means the God of shalom. It's more than just a greeting. Shalom is full wholeness or to put all the pieces back together again. When we do something wrong or go wayward, in one sense we bring disruption and chaos into our souls. Jesus died, rose from the grave to bring us shalom. When we admit what we've done specifically and we find forgiveness for that, it brings peace to our heart, our imagination, our soul, what we think, what we feel, and even what we want. And that's why he brings up this idea that Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep that brings us peace from the God of Shalom. Next, he mentions that this whole process of understanding what guilt is and isn't and how to find those pastures involves the blood of an everlasting covenant, which kind of sounds gross and sounds religious and sounds kind of weird. Let me try and despookify it for you. First, what's a covenant? Well, you know, many of us are in neighborhood covenants. And what does that mean? It means it's an agreed upon set of rules or standards to say, while we live here, we're going to act a certain way. Sometimes a covenant is used as almost like a peace treaty between nations. Here's our covenant or our commitment to one another. I will do this, this, and this. You will do that, that, and that, right? So a covenant is simply an agreement. When we go wayward, though, and we don't listen to our conscience or don't listen to our soul, we break the covenant, and therefore somebody's got to pay for the fact that it's broken. Thus the word blood mentioned here, right? Because if you want to pay to live in a certain neighborhood, sometimes it costs more because of the swimming pool. It costs more because of the protection that's offered. So God is saying somebody had to pay to put the covenant back together when you and I broke it by going wayward. And Jesus came and died and the blood of the good shepherd was able to put the peace treaty or covenant back together again. So he leads us into guilt, oh I did that, but out of guilt, oh he paid for that. You see the idea? So that's what he's getting at here. That's what he's talking about and what it means to be the shepherd of the sheep. Now, let's get real practical. What does it look like for Jesus to lead you into guilt, true guilt, and then out of it to find forgiveness? 
Well, first, let's deal with the idea that for many people, they think guilt is always a bad emotion. But it's not. One of the problems with a psychopath is a psychopath doesn't feel guilt when he violates society or his own moral standards. So first, let's embrace that there is such a thing as good guilt. When I do something wrong, it's that tap on the shoulder, it's that nudge or bumper back in place from God, from your conscience. God designed that so that we would know right and wrong. Because remember, a psychopath can't experience guilt. However, that doesn't mean that all guilt is true. So here's how you know the difference between real guilt. Real guilt is not ambiguous. I kind of generally feel guilty about everything all the time. That does not come from God. In fact, God says because Jesus is the shepherd of the soul, that you can live your life walking around with no condemnation. Real guilt is specific. When I lost my temper with my wife last night, specific, I was out of line, and I need to go and apologize, own it, and make it right. See how specific that is? I know what I did, I know what I need to do. That's the kind of leading into guilt that God does for us. If it's ambiguous, I in general feel like a bad person, that's false guilt. God always wants to use guilt to lead us into the specifics and out through what's called repentance or turning the other direction. And here's why what Jesus offers is so powerful. What Jesus tells us is that because he died and rose from the dead, he has paid for everything you've ever done wrong. All your waywardness and my waywardness as a sheep, past, present, and future. If God has already forgiven me for past, present, and future, I don't have to hide my junk. I don't have to rationalize my mistakes. I don't have to pretend I didn't do it. Whenever I find something I did, it's already been forgiven. And so as I own it and as I tell God about it and maybe tell the person I hurt about it, I find a new way to discover what God already forgave me for. Let me give you an example. One of the things we love at our church is to create environments where people who are kicking the tires on faith or Christianity can lean into their faith. So several years ago, we had one of these explorer groups. We had one for men, one for couples, and one for women. I was invited to the women's study and just got peppered with questions. Some intellectual questions, some psychology questions, some family marriage questions. And one of the women in the group who became a good friend, she and her husband, um, they were in a spiritual journey asking really great questions. So we got done talking that day and she said, hey, would you and your family like to come over to our house uh, in Indian Hill and go swimming with us, uh, your kids and our kids? I said, oh, that'd be great. And so we came over and she told me she was very, very nervous. I said, well, well why? She said, well, I can't believe I'm having the pastor at my house. Which is kind of funny because, you know, I know I'm a pastor, but I don't necessarily think of it that way. But for her to invite a pastor into her house was really a big deal. It was a, another step in her journey. Asking questions, inviting the pastor over, you know, wondering if I'm going to condemn her or whatever. We just had this great conversation. She told me a great story. She said that growing up on the farm, she still loves to mow her own lawn. 
So she had some construction workers over that day working on the house. And she said that a few weeks earlier, she went out mowing her lawn and she saw her construction workers taking a picture of her. And I said, why? She said they couldn't believe that uh, a housewife, uh, working mom uh, from Indian Hill was doing her own lawn and she had a good laugh. And so again, we just began to tell stories and laugh together. And over the next couple of years, she went through several challenges. And during those challenges, she had to reach out to God in really unique ways. Well, so during this COVID crisis, she reached out to me because we were celebrating communion at our equipping service. And she said, I really need to take communion. And then she sent me the nicest note that said, Chad, over the last 10, 15 years, because of your friendship, because of your messages, because of the work of the church and all those relationships, I came to understand that I needed forgiveness from God, that Jesus was the way to find forgiveness and to find freedom, and I became a follower of Jesus. And there are so many stories around our church of people on 10, 20-year journeys of trying to be led into what is true guilt, and I, I did do some things wrong, but then out of that guilt to find the freedom that comes from Jesus. I think of the, the neighborhood covenant example. So I remember moving into my first neighborhood with an HOA, and a lot of that was, you know, don't be too loud after 10 o'clock. Well, I had ordered a hot tub, and this was about 10, 15 years ago, and the hot tub delivery guy got lost. I get a call at nine o'clock, I'll be there any minute. 10 o'clock, I'll be there any minute. He doesn't show up till 11.30 p.m. in my brand new neighborhood I've been in for like two weeks, just up the hill here. And all of a sudden, big old truck, clunk, 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 kaboom, kaboom. And he's pushing this loud hot tub across my lawn into my backyard in my new neighborhood at 11.30 p.m. I felt guilty. Now, at one level, it wasn't my fault. I didn't expect him to arrive at that time, but I knew the parameters of the covenant, right? And the covenant said, be quiet after 10 p.m., let alone smashing big metal doors on the uh, driveway right outside my house. So I went and talked to the neighbors the next day. Most of them didn't hear it at all. I think only one did, and they said, not a big deal. But I knew specifically what I had done wrong, or what the truck driver done wrong, and I went and owned it and made things right. And I always laugh that I was the guy in the neighborhood who brought the hot tub in sometime around midnight. So again, that's what Jesus does. He allows you to want, I, I know I make mistakes, I know I'm gonna make mistakes, but because I'm forgiven of those mistakes, I can own my junk, lead me into true guilt, examine what's true guilt and false guilt, and then lead me out of guilt because, wow, Jesus died a horrific death. And many of us struggle with self-hate. We beat ourselves up for what we've done. When you look at Jesus on the cross, even if you don't necessarily believe this, but think about this for a moment. If Jesus really died on the cross, was beaten and tortured, if you look deeply at his torturing, at his beating, you can actually take a deep breath and say, his death and beating was sufficient. You see, when I try and beat myself up over something, self-hate myself into something, I'm basically saying what Jesus did wasn't sufficient and I'm adding to it. You can be delivered from guilt, condemnation, and self-hate by seeing how badly Jesus was beaten and how he ultimately resurrected himself from the dead. So first, the shepherd of the sheep leads us into 
and out of true guilt. And the second aspect is that trusting the great shepherd to equip you and to work in you. Now this is so important to understanding the powerhouse of resources God makes available to you when you not only understand this nickname, but incorporate it into your life. See, he equips you, we'll tell you what that means, and he works in you. Now to understand that, we need to dive down into a little bit more research on the word shepherd. The great shepherd of the sheep, and remember he mentions of the everlasting covenant. Now here's what's helpful to understand. In the Jewish understanding, and remember the Bible is written by primarily Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah named Jesus. And the Jewish idea from the Older Testament was that the shepherd represented the king. So it wasn't just the person who led the sheep, but the ultimate shepherd was the king of the nation, the people who would guide you or equip you or protect you. This idea comes out from a passage from the Older Testament here in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Saul was king over us, and you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. See that out and in idea? And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd. So notice, king who leads is a shepherd, my people Israel. So when you lead people, your family, your colleagues, your department, you are participating in shepherding. You're trying to lead them into the right thing to do, sometimes out of situations that they get into, right? That's this idea. However, all through the Old Testament, God was looking for the type of leader that could help his people make the right choices. But what happened? Well, they kept making bad choices. Doesn't matter if it was King Saul, King David, King Solomon, the judges or Moses, no matter how much here's the thing you should do would come out, they would do the opposite. So in the book of Ezekiel, in the Older Testament, God said he was gonna send the ultimate leader, the ultimate king, and yes, the ultimate shepherd of the sheep. Who's that? Well, you can guess, but here it is in Ezekiel. This idea comes from, in the Old Testament, when people saw a shepherd, the shepherd would be the person who would lead the sheep. And even though they were wayward, the shepherd would go and kind of nudge them back in the right direction. But they, like real sheep, kept going the wrong way. Sometimes the shepherd would take you to a manger. See this manger made out of a rock there? This is the type of place Jesus was ultimately born. Now hold on to that thought as we get closer and closer to this Ezekiel passage. So Jesus was set in a manger, which is a, a rock basin which held water for the sheep. And then... Ultimately, Jesus was born in a manger, which was most likely a cave. During a storm, a shepherd would lead his sheep into a cave to be protected and sometimes build a wall around that to keep them in place, to keep them from going out into dangerous areas. Well, the same thing is true morally. God wants to create some parameters to keep us safe When we go wayward, he goes to find us and bring us back here. But the ultimate king and the ultimate shepherd came and was born in a manger and into a shepherd's cave. Here's what it says in Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. So notice, shepherds and shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. He's saying there's bad leadership. Bad leadership in the community, bad leadership in the church, bad leadership uh, politically with the king, bad shepherds everywhere. And no matter how many ways I've tried to teach the shepherds or the sheep, they keep going the wrong way. So what's he gonna do? What's God's final solution to equip us and work in us? Well, here's what it says in the passage. Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, I will seek out my sheep. Now notice, I myself, God speaking, I seek out my sheep, I will search. God is saying, one day I am gonna come to earth myself and be the shepherd my people have been longing for. See, that's why Hebrews says this nickname is so important. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He comes to be your king and your protector. And he even came in a way that was very, very noticeable if you were in the shepherding culture. A manger, a cave. This is how the shepherd came, fulfilling a prediction made in the Old Testament hundreds of years earlier. So what does that look like? What does it feel like to be equipped by this shepherd king leader? Well, if you look in the next verse here in Hebrews, after he introduces us to this shepherd to fulfill the idea from the Old Testament that God himself would come to earth, it says in, first, uh, in, in Hebrews, rather, chapter 13, verse 21, that the shepherd of the sheep will make you complete, which is the word equipped, in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So here's this idea. He equips you and he works in you. Now what does it mean to be equipped? It means that he gives you the resources or prepares you with the tools you need to live life. Like to live life, you need some tools. You need some courage. You need some forgiveness. You need the ability to discern what's true guilt and false guilt. What is people imposing guilt on me that I didn't do versus clearing the deck and saying, I need to own this, but not that. And this is a, a passive verb tense. It's not something I do, and he kind of claps for it, way to go, Chad. It's something he does in me. He equips me. He gives me the tools I need. See, once you understand that you've been forgiven by God, he gives you a, a spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit, but God comes and lives in you. And by living in you, he gives you the tools, the discernment, the courage, the patience, or the compassion you need to live life successfully. And so if you feel like you're in a place in life right now where you're at a stuck point, God says, feel free to look at me as a shepherd and say, need some more tools here. I need to be equipped here. In fact, as a church, we have two types of services. Maybe since you've been watching online, you've clicked on the two tabs and for the first time you've experienced both services. We have an equipping service where we try and equip you how to know God, how to pray, how to understand the Bible and we have an exploring service for people who are kicking the tires or just kind of trying it out a bit. 
And part of our desire is to create resources and environments and tools to equip you wherever you are in your journey. In fact, I am very, very close. Hopefully next week I'll give you some details about reopening this room because we are so excited to welcome you back. And because of your continued support and watching and financial giving, we've been able to offer really unique resources and tools to equip people over the last three months. We've continued to do both services, our equipping service, verse by verse through 1 Samuel, and our exploring service, which you're listening to right now. Now, we've also been able to offer a prayer pathway with customizable videos three times a week and prayer applications because we as a church are about equipping you to connect with God so he can equip you with the tools you need. Now, like many of you, we're trying to be wise shepherds, wise leaders. We're trying to discern, tighten our belt financially because we don't know what the future holds. We're also, as we look to the future, we're going to delay some critical hires to just see where everyone is in their financial giving. Now, many of you have been very, very generous, continue to give faithfully. And I want to say thank you. That has allowed us to give the resources and continue to equip people. But also, we want to tighten our belt and be very, very wise, as many of you are. So if you feel like, wow, I'm just timing out my gifts, the next couple months will be a critical time to help us know how we can leverage our giving and spending as we look to the next 12 months in the best way to equip everyone who attends Horizon as we open our doors very, very soon. Now, isn't it true that if you don't have the right tool, you can't do the job? God is saying, I want to give you the right tool you need for your circumstances. Back in April, I was like, I have got to get out of the house. But the water over in East Fork Lake was freezing, like below 50. So I got on uh, Craigslist and I negotiated uh, about $100 for a, a dry suit. I looked, like, you know, I looked like I belonged in the original Star Trek, this outfit. Many people laughed at it on Facebook. But I knew if I wanted to go skiing in Ohio in the month of April, I better have the right equipment, right? And I got laughed at by my kids, and, and uh, they made fun of me. And, and, but you know what? When I jumped in the water and got to ski, rather than being cooped up all the time, I was like, you know what? I got the right tool for the job, right? That's this idea is that God wants to equip you with the tools you need for the challenges that are before you. So, we trust God to be our equipper and we trust God to be the one who works in us. And here's what that does. When you see goodness come out of you, when you see patience come out of you, you don't get arrogant. Look how wonderful I am. Everything that good that comes out of you came from him and it keeps you humble. So what that means practically is that whatever you're facing today, you need to trust God to bring the change. See, religion is about me trying harder to do it at my own power and wearing myself down, a sheep trying to turn himself or herself into a shepherd. But instead, trust the shepherd to bring the change. God, I'm trusting you to lead me in and out of guilt. God, I'm trusting you to lead me to those pastures of forgiveness. I'm trusting you to equip me. I'm trusting you to work in me as I face these challenges. What does it look like practically to trust the great shepherd to lead you in this way? 
I recently had an opportunity to interview my friend Wayne Spencer. I told you a little bit about his story several weeks ago, but I'd like you to hear firsthand how God has been shepherding him into understanding his forgiveness during these last few months. Can we listen to Wayne together? Well, Wayne, thanks so much for being with us today. We're talking about what it looks like for Jesus to be the shepherd of our soul and how he leads us out of guilt and into an area of forgiveness and how to love on other people in the same way. How has God done that in your life? What does it look like, just even during this COVID crisis, for you to be led or shepherded by by Jesus? It's interesting. Uh, Yeah, God is definitely shepherding me. Uh, In COVID-19, when it first came upon us, uh, I found myself at total peace, which is just the opposite of what wow. I thought yeah. I would feel. And uh, it was because of exactly where I am in the journey with God right now and how he is shepherding me. And uh, I found myself just praying every day and asking for him to give me insight as to what his ultimate plan was huh. uh, as we go through this unique experience of uh, COVID-19. And um, it, it's led me to digging deeper into what his plan is for me is to uh, start to continue to release against the accumulation of wealth on the earth, kind mm. of in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and reading that uh, and, and shifting that as quickly as I can uh, to uh, heavenly uh, treasures, giving my treasures to heaven um, and uh, serving God versus mammon. So, and mammon is a word in the Bible for, for money. For money. And yes. you know, it's not like money is bad. It's just when you live for money, there's a greater happiness or greater joy. You know, when God forgives you of everything, you're not motivated by guilt to give. You know, you're not going to earn your way to heaven. Right. You're not trying to, you know, make up for the things you've done wrong. There's so much freedom right. that now you want to give because you want to be part of what the shepherd did for you, right? He was generous for you. Exactly. You want to be generous to others. And that's all happened since I've been in Cincinnati with wow. Horizon specifically. So I've grown immensely uh, through a Bible study, through serving, uh, just the relationship in the church. It's been incredible, but God definitely drew us here for that reason, I believe. And what are some of the ways that you have felt prompted to um, serve and just invest in other people? Obviously, finance is a part of that, but related to your time and just serving other people, what are some examples there? As far as the time aspect, um, I got involved um, early on with uh, City Gospel and the uh, in the uh, prison uh, heroin addiction program and, mm. and met uh, Matt Dole and yeah. uh, his uh, wife now Sue and uh, kind of been a mentor for him and, and uh, tried to help him through his journey uh, to get free of uh, heroin addiction. Uh, also then also get involved though with WizKids out of City Gospel and, uh, and mentoring a young boy, nine uh, years old, Lyric Smith and who lives with his grandma. And the interesting thing that happened uh, about two weeks ago was I think God drew both, all three of us together. Uh, Her car broke down and uh, had a transmission problem. They couldn't afford to fix it with the pricing that they got from the dealer. And I went to Matt and asked him to help out. Uh, He was out of a construction job because of COVID-19. Sure, sure. So uh, put the two together and he uh, was willing to do the job for a very fair price. Wow. And uh, she's very happy that her car is working right now and uh, has that freedom uh, of transportation. So that was one small aspect of saying, wow, God really drove me to help out the three of us, really, in that sure. giving environment. 
I think a lot of times people feel so busy and they don't realize when you feel these promptings or nudgings from God to go and shepherd and lead and invest in other people, what fills you up is you get opportunity to fill other people up and, and guide other people as well. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and you, you hit it before. Is it, it, when I gave before, it was more like, oh, I better because yeah. that'll help me get to heaven. Today, it's just the giving is just from my heart and it fills me and it's totally different feeling. Wow. Uh, because of where I've come in my spiritual journey. Now tell me, I recently came across a, a photo of you and your small group and another way that you felt God prompting you. So here's a picture of a bunch of guys <laughs> with a sign that says, the men's Bible study loves you and misses you, Bob. So tell me about this scene and okay. what brought you to this moment. Well, Bob is Bob Eisenbron, and he was uh, one of our charter members uh, that I came into, when I came into the church, we had about eight people in the Bible study that John Kirby got me involved with, and it's now grown to where we could add upwards of 29 people on any given uh, Thursday. You guys are Zooming together, right? Yeah, yeah and we're yeah. Zooming now. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. But uh, Bob was retired, and he, um, he had an accident about two years into our Bible study, hmm. maybe a little bit more, and uh, he broke his hip at hmm. home and had to go into uh, rehab into hmm. some haven. Hmm. He came out of that rehab which was a miracle. He was in his 80s then and um, was still coherent and everything and, and re recuperating and coming to the Bible study uh, every week, even though he was with a walker. But he started to go downhill and had some um, early signs of dementia and had to go into some haven uh, mm. permanently. Uh, I would visit with him from time to time and uh, wow. kind of built... Uh, a relationship with him where he was actually helping me mentor. He was mentoring me without him really knowing it as I built my business, uh, huh. uh, started business in Cincinnati. Wow. Um, and um, so I, I, I love the man and uh, just got a lot out of him. And, and you're going regularly to visit him. But then after this accident, he's in this nursing home recuperation center. And now you can't visit him. And right. yet you love him and you want to encourage him. Exactly. So God, you felt God prompted you to do what? Tell me about well, that. Well, it's interesting because God prompted me to do this. But actually, it was my daughter who gave me the, the idea. idea. Oh, that's awesome. Because I was frustrated and said, we can't go to visit him now with COVID. And I could call him on the phone. But now I couldn't call him even on the phone because he wasn't as cognizant anymore mm. with the dementia. Mm. And Courtney said, there must be a window there. <laughs> there is a window. Well, why don't we make a sign? So we made a sign on Saturday. My wife, Courtney, and I went over, got Joan to coordinate it, her, his, his, his wife, Joan Ozenbron. And we went over on, on, on a Saturday and got in front of the window, and he just loved it. He lit up. Yeah. So I said to the Bible study, let's go do this. Uh, and uh, that following week on Thursday, mm. uh, we all went over. We socially distanced and uh, <laughs> built the sign. Uh, John Kirby took that picture. He was over there too, and uh, it was incredible. So we got to see him and let him know that we loved him and, yeah. and we're thanking him. And, and, and uh, hopefully that meant a lot to him. You know, that day he wasn't that coherent, but sure. Joan told me the following week he knew we were there, and uh. he was very appreciative. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we're talking about as a church is during this time of COVID, we want to be spiritual coaches for you. We want to inspire you to be spiritual mentors or investors or serving other people. Uh, certainly that includes financially as, as we give to God's work here at Horizon. But more than that, it's, it's God's work in the world. What are those who are lonely, who might need encouragement? What are those who need to be served? Those that God may be calling you to reach out to? And God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you and I to have the incredible joy that comes from living out this purpose-filled life. 
like this next song really talks about that. I'd like you to think about what changes God may be prompting in you. What are some of the nudgings he may be calling you to during this time? And think about that as you listen to the, to the lyrics of this next song called Here Comes the Change. Wayne, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it.